Welcome to Church 213. We pray that the message today is a clear picture of who Christ wants to be in your life. We trust God for a miracle in the next few minutes. Thanks for listening. I don't know if you guys realize this, but this is not a memorial service this morning. This is a celebration service this morning. Can I get a witness? I see some heaviness on your faces. I can kind of feel it in this room. I don't know. Does your spirit kind of feel that? I want you to know that Jesus is alive. Our Redeemer lives. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is alive this morning. We're going to get after it. I mean, it is a privilege you have life. Life to the full. He kept your heart beating all night long. While we were just dreaming and drooling. He was in control of all things. That ought to put a smile on your face, church. And we saw two people come from life to death. Live out that, that redemption publicly right here in these waters. And it was warm water. This is not a memorial. Okay, church, this is not a memorial service this morning. This is a celebration service. Yeah, you know, last week this place was full because of Easter, and it should have been. But Jesus is no more alive now than he was last week and last week as he was now. If you're ready, say, I am. All right, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in it, but don't turn anywhere there yet. Last week, Easter Sunday, we saw a move of God that we won't soon forget. And we saw that movement kind of roll over in today. So I want to say congratulations again. Again to Mr. Chuck East. There he is right there. That's my man. Miss Courtney Wyman right here. She has family and friends from all over this area that are here. They made the most important decision that they'll ever make. And that is hearing God call their name and respond to that. And spiritual things happen. Great things happen. Special things happen when you give Jesus the position that he deserves and declares and demands this is not a memorial service this morning it's a celebration service amen and we have a lot to be thankful for some things I want to plug I know that we're going to uh, talk about these things at the end of the service as we always do but a few things I want to kind of throw my weight around just a little bit and that's these invite cards we have these out front they're um, right there on guest services I invite you to pick one of these up, maybe two, maybe three, and use this as an invitation tool to Church 213. You know, sometimes it can be uh, kind of uncomfortable to invite someone to church. shouldn't be like that, but it is from time to time. This is a really easy tool because you have something in your hand. Hey, will you come to Church 213? That's where I go. If you'll text me, I will meet you at the door. So it's really simple. It has everything you need to know about Church 213, how to find us, how to get in touch with us. So you guys pick those up. We have bought plenty for you. And the second thing I want to plug is where the man goes, the family goes. And where the family goes, there goes the rest of the world. Not because I said so, because the word of God says so. And so we are intentional about investing into the men here at Church 213. What better way to spend your money than a good steak with good people around a good word? Amen. That is worth the investment. And so uh, we have a men's stakeout event that we're, we're going to, uh, we're, we're plugging. There it is right there. That's our spot. Just ignore that. But um, what you need to know about the men's event is, uh, is, is through the constant contact. It's on our Facebook. It's also out there on the table. 
So, gentlemen, I encourage you to sign up. Bring somebody. Be a bringer with you. It'll be the best money that you can buy. It can also be the best money that you can spend to invest just a simple $20 bill into what could be eternal impact in the man of someone, in the life of another man. So be a bringer, okay? I'd like to, I'd like to roll into First Baptist Conyers with 50 men from Church 213, but you need to sign up so that we can reserve our group table because we want to sit together, okay? Nobody wants to eat a steak with a stranger, and I guess you could, but it's more fun when you have a friend right next to you. Okay, this is not a memorial service. This is a celebration service this morning. Y'all with me? So get involved. There it is right there. Get involved. But I am excited, uh, as you can tell, about uh, where we're headed. Last week, we concluded our Easter series, Roll Call, How Are You Going to Be Found This Easter? And it was a three-part. The first, the first week, we looked at the life of Peter. He was emptied to be filled. Then we looked at the life of Barabbas. He was arrested to be freed. And then we looked at the life of Mary last week. She was surprised to be healed. So, um, you know, if you like to, you know, have those digitally, you can see Dom after the service, and he'll put that series resource in your hand. Housekeeping things are out of the way. If you have your copy of God's Word, say, I do. All right, we're not going to open there yet, but we're going to be in it in just a few minutes. Um, the reason I'm excited about this series and where we're headed over the next few months um, is because the impact that it could have. I've been chomping at the bit to get to this um, since probably the end of last year. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you to make Sundays a priority. And that, that means plan for it. That means put it on your schedule. You know, if you're like me, which, you know, what you don't calendar doesn't get done. So put Sundays on your calendar and guard that day because I really believe this series has the possibility to strengthen your faith personally and unite us as a church corporately in ways that you've never seen. So make Sundays a priority. I've titled the series, I Spy with My Little Eye. I Spy with My Little Eye. Yes, right there. You know what it is. Okay, you've seen it. I Spy with My Little Eye because I like that game. I'm not going to lie about I Spy really shouldn't lie about anything, but I'm definitely not going to lie about I spy. I spy with my little eye. You know how the game works. The point of the game is for one person to secretly choose an object that is visible maybe inside a car or, or you, know, you know, out in your yard or in your house. And then people take turns trying to guess what that object is based on a single clue that you, that you give them. Nod your head if you got it, okay? We've played I Spy. We know how it works. Whoever correctly identifies with their eye, what I have chosen to spy with my eye can now be the one who does the spying. And then the game just kind of goes round and around and around. And you know as well as I do, what makes it the most fun is to try to choose the smallest speck of anything that you can identify with your eye to keep your kids guessing and guessing and guessing and guessing because frustrating a kid is mind candy for a parent. You know what I'm saying? You with me? You know, it, it goes there. Saying as a parent, 
saying the word, nope, nope, nope. I mean, that's, that's probably some of the most satisfying things a parent can experience with their children. You with me? It's there. You, you know, it's right there. And the reason that I've, spy, that, that I've titled the, the series, I Spy With My Little Eye, is because God desires for us to find Him. He desires for us to see Him. He desires for us to recognize Him. Amen? Because He's the lifter of the lowly. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the beginning and the end. He is the desire of nations, the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. But as I was thinking about that, sadly, there are people that have no idea what they're looking for. Any worse than that, they have, they have no idea um, that they even need to be looking. It may be worse than that. They, they have no idea of where, where even to look as they are thinking about the things of God. And so the series that we're going to be spying over the next, next few months or so is we're going to be spying the nature of God, which is kind of a big deal. Um, the nature of God. When you, when you think about the nature of God, it can be overwhelming because we're not Him. It's hard for us to kind of to grasp that. But I believe that one of the reasons that lives are such a mess, y'all hang with me, one of the reasons I believe that lives are such a mess in our world is because little by little, people have lost their concept of the majesty of God, uh, of the awe and, and the wonder. And with that loss of that has come uh, um, a further loss of his div divine presence in our life. Because what you believe about God affects how you live life. What you believe about the weather affects how you sleep at night. If you really believe that there was a terrible storm coming, you wouldn't just sleep right through it. You would make sure that you were aware of your surroundings. Know this, that, that theology always affects actions. What you believe matters. Because, to listen, to really know Him is to really love Him. And to really know Him and to really love Him means you can really grasp Him. And if you ever taste and see the goodness of God, it will change the way you worship. We're not here for a memorial service this morning. We're here for a celebration service. And when you taste and see how good God is, you can't help but to, but to cheer the one that has redeemed you and set you free. See, as your pastor, I want you to know the Lord on such a personal level that you can, that you can worship Him in silence. See, silence is awkward, isn't it? It's why typically when we face a moment of silence, we pull our phones out. Because it's uncomfortable. See, in order to think about God and worship Him in silence, you have to really know Him on a level that you can't be distracted by all the things that flow into our lives during the moments of silence. Silence is awkward, isn't it? God's word is clear 
that he wants to be the center of our being so we can just soak him up in the silence. The scripture says in Psalm 46.10, says this, Stop your fighting. Some of your translations may say, be still. I like this one better. Stop your fighting, which means stop the distractions. Stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Be still and know that I am God. But I'm going to tell you, that's a lost art in, in a lot of believers Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christians who can appreciate time with God. Because we measure our spirituality with our seating capacity, not our sharing and our caring capacity. And the church is more prosperous, I don't know if you realize it, but it's more prosperous than any moment in the last 200 years financially. Buildings are nicer, seats are more padded, campuses are larger, stages are wider, budgets are bigger than ever before in the last 200 years. But since it's the quality of our faith that it's affected by our internal internal condition, it's possible, it's possible that what we're seeing isn't spiritual strength at all, but its losses spread out over larger areas. Because it's not about our seating capacity, which is important that this place is full, because seats equal worship, and and worship is a relationship with God, and life change happens when you're in presence of His Word. So I'm not saying don't come to church. What I'm saying is seating capacity is not the primer for spiritual growth. It's not seating capacity, it's sending capacity, amen? But that's not really kind of American Christianity. Flash and cash is not proof of righteous living. It's just not. If it were, then the gospel wouldn't be exploding around the world where people literally have nothing but are more content than anybody else on the planet. If you make more than $30,000 a year, and that's probably all of us, You are among the top 1% of the richest in the world. Richest in the world. But yet our churches are focused on seeding capacity and the influence of the gospel is so weak compared to other places of the world. So you know what that tells me? It ain't about the flash and the cash. Amen? It's about what you're letting God do. That's an eye-opener. And the decline of the understanding of the nature of God it's brought all kind of trouble. To, to, our, to our country and to our nation and to our culture because people simply don't know who their daddy is. They have a daddy wound. Our nation has a daddy wound because people just can't grasp the nature of God according to God's word. And so it's the reason the question for me and for you is this and it's really always for the church, who is God? That's the question every morning in the silence. Who is God? Because it's not up for um, subjective debate. It's very clear. Who does God say that he is? Because it's the foundation of worship. And if the foundation is weak, 
the entire structure will soon be brittle and it will collapse. So what we believe about the nature of God matters. What we spy with our little eye changes everything. Hey, this is on your notes right here. Kind of what we're going to kick off with. The best prediction of a person's future is what their heart conceives God to be like. The best prediction of a person's future is what their heart conceives God to be like. See, a proper view of God, a proper view of God makes it crystal clear who we're praying to. A proper view of God makes it crystal clear who we're singing to, who we're giving to, who we're clinging to, who holds us, who anchors us, who calls us, and who loves us. You gotta know who your daddy is, church. I spy with our little eye the nature of God. Now, there's some reason we, we play I spy in, in my house on road trips. Mainly because it keeps me awake. You know, it keeps me focused. It, it, help, it helps pass the time, doesn't it? You know, we also play other games. As we, you know, your family probably have those road games that you play. It helps t- pass the time easier. It helps us keep our mind focused. And the reason that I'm kind of using that play on words with I spy is because as we travel the life called earth, as we travel through my desire is that you will walk away this week and for the next eight weeks more awake in your faith than ever before. More at peace in your circumstances and more humble in your worship that you cannot wait to get here on Sunday morning to worship the King of Kings with another redeemed brother and sister who you will spend all of eternity with. This is not a memorial service. This is a celebration service, amen? If you're with me, say I am. All right, here we go. The greatest gift to our kids and our grandkids is a proper view of God. Greatest gift. Not about the flash and the cash. The greatest gift is a proper view, but you can't pass something on to your kids personally that you don't already have hidden in the depths of your core. So it's important for us as adults and teenagers who are going to grow into adults to be, to be able to pass on the proper view of God. And so this morning, I'm launching this I Spy series with a closer look at the nature of God with the sermon title, I Spy with My Little Eye, One Who Is All That and a Bag of Chips. All that and a bag of chips. Y'all heard that before? That phrase? I Spy with My Little Eye, one who is all that in a bag of chips. Uh, when you think about that word, all that, that phrase, when, when that phrase is applied to somebody, it's typically not a good thing, right? I mean, Carlos thinks just because he went to Mexico that he's all that in a bag of chips. He's been on mission all week. He's been building for Jesus. You think you're all that in a bag of chips? Yes. He's like, yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Okay. Does a, does a cat have climbing gear? Yeah. He didn't really think that. But when you kind of throw that out there, it's funny. You know, it's funny for us to think about because it's typically not a good way to describe somebody because what you're saying is they think that they're all that. They think that they've got it all together. They think that they are all that and, y'all say it with me, 
a bag of chips. Which, what, you know, it kind of means they expect more than they deserve. That life revolves around them. I don't know if you know, if you know this, but there are people out there living that really believe that. That life's all about them. If you don't know anybody like that, it might be you. There are actors, there are professional athletes that believe that. There are people that, that, are, that, are, that are on the silver screen that before they can be picked up at the airport for a show, you know, in that limo that has to be blue with white interior, but with a driver wearing a green suit that smells like grandma's cookies, they have to have 142 rose petals sprinkled in the back seat, and they have to have some special drink that's exactly 38 degrees chilled with four and a half pieces of ice left in the bottle. You know what I mean? There are people, I would say, that person thinks that they're all that and a bag of chips. But remember now, we're talking about the nature of God. We're talking about the qualities that are inherent to who He is. And this is important theologically for us to get. Because these are not pieces of who He is. This is describing His total being. God doesn't have pieces. He is all of the nature. He is all of His nature. All of his total being. And God himself is the source of our knowledge of him. So we don't know about him unless he reveals it to us through his word. Because a finite man, we just can't comprehend the things of God. So what we, what we do know, he reveals it to us. And while we can't know everything about God, because that would make us God, right? The beautiful thing is, church, listen, he is knowable. Wow. He is knowable. He has made himself known to us. And what we can know should lead us to a deeper form of worship. God shows us that he is. He is all that and a bag of chips. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Job chapter 38. Job 38, like Job, where is that? I'll give you a hint. If you just typically open the Bible to the middle, you'll be in Psalm and go left. Go left and you'll find Job. See, what you say you believe, if it doesn't change how you live, what makes you think it will change your eternity? So it's important that we are completely convinced we believe in the nature of God. And Job 38 kind of shows us that God himself says that he's all that and a bag of chips. So if you have your copy and you're willing and able, if you have your copy of the scripture, let's stand together. We're going to be in Job chapter 38. I spy with my little eye one that is all that and a bag of chips. Job 38, starting in verse 1, says this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And he said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me 
Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Talking about the, the stars there. Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment. Total darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. When I declared you may come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its space? So it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it. The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its heels stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and the arm raised in violence is broken. Verse 16, have you ever traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of darkness? Have you, have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me. Tell me if you know this. Tell me, boy, if you know this. This is a powerful word here. And we're going to dig into it to encourage us that God is all that and a bag of chips. You guys can be seated. So we're going to kind of work through this text a little bit. Talking about the nature of God, remember, remember I said just a minute ago that what you say you believe, if what you say you doesn't, which, if what you say you believe doesn't change how you live, what makes you think it will change your eternity? Because what you believe matters. And so what we're seeing right here in Job 38 is that a proper view of God tells us that he is omnipotent. Now it's a big word. It describes, it describes the nature of God. The, the omnipotence of God means that God has all the power, which means he is fully in control. He is sovereign. And sovereignty and omnipotence, they can't exist without each other. Because to reign, God has to have all the power. And to reign all-knowingly means... He must have all the power. And so that's what omnipotence means. It means having all the power. Having it all. Having it all and a bag of chips. It's everything. The, the word comes from two Latin words, omni and potens, which means all and then powerful. In the, New, in the Old Testament, God refers to his omnipotence when he uses the word El Shaddai. El Shaddai means all-powerful. And so when you see this in the Old Testament in the reference, it's God explaining that he has all power. And the word almighty is, an, is really an easier way to grab the concept of omnipotence. All power. Think about that. On three, y'all say all power. One, two, three. All so how much power is that? All. Wow. Think of the magnitude. All. Mighty. All powerful. It, it's used 
56 times in our English Bibles. So omnipotence is better translated for us the concept as almighty. He alone is almighty. Which means he is able to do anything that is consistent with what's true of his nature. See, people ask me, and, and, you know, and I've, I've heard it asked before, is there anything that God cannot do? Is there anything God cannot do? The answer is yes. There are things that he cannot do. He cannot will or do anything that denies his own nature. See, the scripture is clear that God cannot lie. Y'all with me? Say, I am. God cannot be tempted with evil. He cannot fail to do what he has promised to do. He cannot cease to exist. He cannot act in a way inconsistent with any other part of his nature. He, he cannot do the logically absurd. Like uh, making a four-sided triangle. Making two plus two equals six. Y'all with me? Making your rock so big he can't move. Y'all have heard that question, right? Can God make a rock so big he can't move? See, if you think about that question, questions like this, they don't, they don't prove that God is limited. But what questions like this do is it implies that God can frustrate himself, which he cannot do. It's outside of his nature. So it's a bogus question. Okay? But unfortunately for us, when, um, when suffering finds its way into our lives, and this you know, uncomfortable reality of whatever your situation is becomes uncertain, we can lose that proper view of God that's right in front of us and what we do is we we start trying to understand our problems and fix them ourselves because that's all we can see is our view unless we have a proper view of God so we have to I spy with I little, my little eye every day we have to spy the nature of God according to what God's Word says God's omnipotent shows us that we don't have all the answers because we don't have all the knowledge. That is criti critical for us in, in 2021. When there's a lot of questions around us. And that's where Job was. That's why God was reminding him of his almighty nature. Job needed reminding. That God was all that in a bag of chips. Don't bandwagon Job. We do too. There are times... Where God just simply needs to remind me when I get so caught up in what's going on around me. I need, amen, I need reminding the nature of God. And see, it's because most of the book of Job was his confession about his discontentment with why life looked the way it did. He was not a happy camper. His resources are gone. His family's gone. Um, his health is gone. And the breath in his lungs all he had left and so what's happening is the situation that he has found himself in has narrowed his view of who God was and Job, I mean, Job has, has bottled up all this frustration with God 
long enough. He is, he is, uh, he's had enough bad advice from his friends. He's ran it on social media long enough about the, the plight that he's found himself in. And now he believes, now he believes that he is prepared to, go, to, to counsel and put God on the witness stand. Because he wants to demand answers for the situation that he's in. That's a dangerous place to believe, to be right there, right? That, that's, where, that's where God is. He's saying, God, if you're really there. God, if you're really a God of love. God, if you're good. God, if you're really in control. God, if, 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 if. I've been there. Have you been there? I've, I've been there. I've been there a lot. It sounds familiar because it is familiar. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to this sweet reminder that God has not lost control and His will as difficult as it is for us as humans to understand is still being accomplished for our good and for His glory because He is almighty. He's all that and, what is it, church? A bag of chips. So here's what we see. Number one, we see this. That God's omnipotence, it comforts our hearts. God's omnipotence will comfort our hearts. Look, at, um, look, at, look, look back at verse 1 of chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He blows on the scene in a storm. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched the, the measuring line across it? Who supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, See, what Job didn't realize this, I don't think, but, but what God is doing is he's bringing hope to Job by painting this, this panoramic view of his almighty nature. But Job couldn't see it because he was too focused on making his own case. Man, I don't know about you, but I find myself right here in this text so often. I can't see what God's doing because I, I won't be quiet. Close your mouth. That's where Job is. Job's current situation has consumed with heart, his heart with such fear and his grief that his heart was distracted by what we, what we know was true, but he couldn't see it. So God had to snap him back into reality with some smelling sauce. Y'all seen the smelling sauce? He had to wake him back into the reality because of the hit he had taken from his circumstances. The reality of his grief was absolutely real. 
But he had to snap him into the reality that yes, the grief had power, but God had all power. And the things that you're bringing in here this morning, there's, there's a heaviness in here this morning. I can, I can just feel it. What you're bringing in here this morning is it, real. And it has weight. And it has effects. But it's not all powerful. God is all powerful. And so what God does is, is he violently comes on the scene in a whirlwind to grab Job's attention with glory and majesty. It's where revelation meets response. That's what worship is. That's a definition, working definition that I like to use. What is worship? It's where revelation meets response. And when you look at it like that, you can worship the Lord anywhere when you are revealed His goodness and that leads you to respond. So when I take a, when I take a, 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 a fork and I take a steak knife and I cut a perfectly marbled ribeye bone in and I go around on some A1 sauce, Mm. And then I and and I, I and, and I taste it, and my taste buds my taste buds just go crazy. I can with that with that revealed goodness of God. I know it seems crazy, but it's real. You can say, "Thank you, Lord, that you gave me taste buds that everything doesn't taste like an unflavored ramen noodle." You know, I don't know the sound that um, that a violet bulb makes when it opens. I don't know, but I know it makes a sound. But if I could hear that sound, whatever sound that is, that, that majesty and that glory calls a response from us. That is a moment of worship. You know, if you've ever held an infant and you, you know, hold it right up to your face and that little baby breath that comes out of the nostril and you can feel that, you know, that, you know that's how tender and sweet that is? and you're just overwhelmed, and your heart is so full like it's about to explode, that is a moment of worship. Where revelation meets, res meets response. That's what God was doing with Job. Job. Job was experiencing God's glory. And glory is when God goes public. When God just shows up, and when God just shows out. And this whirlwind was snapping him back to the reality. God was saying, boy... I am all that and a bag of chips. Look at verse 4. We're going to kind of roll through this because it's, it's, it's powerful. He says, where were you when I established the earth? That's a pretty big question. Who, who can answer that? Where were you when I established the earth? Where were you when I established it? You're just mortal men, limited and created beings. What can you know about the past? You can barely remember yesterday. If my memory got any worse, I could throw myself a surprise birthday party. It's kind of getting worse. He's saying, where were you? Did you see me create the world? Who but me knew how to adjust its polar distances from the center? So when Job's like, uh-oh. Then he goes on to verse 5. It says, who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? He's asking Job, who has formed its zone? Who, who has formed its great circles? Who adjusted the whole of its magnitude? Who set the gravity of the earth in motion? Who gave the earth its first push? Who? Then he moves on to, to verse 6. Who supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone? How does it continue to revolve in the immensity 
of space. Who supports it? Does it have foundations like a building to keep earth from falling apart? Who, Job? Who? Answer me this, Job. Stand up like a man. I mean, if you're going to approach me, Job, you better be ready for the, for, the, for the examination. And then verse 8 and 9 says, Who encircles the sea behind doors when it bursts from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, total darkness its blanket. He's saying, Job, tell me, who told the oceans when they could burst from the core? Who, who, who controlled the, the seas when they rushed uncontrollably to the surface? Who told the oceans they could only go this far? Who closed the earth's crust behind and, and cut the water off like grandma's spigot? Who? Who, Joe? Who, Ryan? Who, Randall? Jeremy? David? Richard? Who? You know, put yourself there. God was reminding Job that the answers to those questions were impossible to answer except for God. And that's important because if God has the power to control the seas in creation, he certainly has the power to control the heavy and the painful the uncertain situation that Job was facing. See, this seems like that the Lord is being forceful. But it's really a tenderness here. You catch it. Because he's reminding him, Job, you can't answer these questions, son. But what I want you to know is these questions don't have an answer. Just like what you're going through doesn't have an answer in your human capacity, but I am all that in a bag of chips. I am almighty. The God we serve, Church 213, is a master of the tides. He is a master of the tides, which are the rise and the fall of the sea levels caused by the combined effects of gravitational forces which are, which, which are um, exerted on the earth by the moon which is round. You don't see perfectly round things by accident in nature. If something is round, it's intentional, right? God alone is the, is the spinner of the earth at a thousand miles per hour, all in perfect cohesion. So Mr. Ken doesn't just fall up out of his chair. So we don't just fall over. God does all those things. And see, we can look at God's creation from the ground we stand on and the oceans that we swim, on, swim in as evidence that when we properly understand the nature of God, we shall never be shaken because he's got the whole world in his hands and we can find comfort that we are clay on the potter's wheel of eternity. That's what he's telling Job. So mom and dad and teenager, creation is a way that God is saying, just trust me. I know you don't understand it. You can't understand it because you're not God. I hold the oceans, mama. I hold, daddy, grandma. I, God's saying, I hold the oceans. I can certainly hold your tears in this situation. 
and as, and as Job stands to answer God about the tithes, you know, you can see maybe he's, just, he's trying to get up the courage to actually say something. But anytime he's about to say something, God moves on to the next nature. It's, it's, a, it's a scene of a courtroom. God is moving really fast right here. It, it's a, it's a rapid-fire questioning because Job is standing trial. Remember, he was, he was preparing himself to question the Lord, but he had no time because the Lord was just throwing these questions at him to humble him. He's getting his clock clean right here. You can't handle the truth. And he goes on in verse 20, 25. Look what he says in verse 25. Who cuts, who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain? On an inhabitable land, on a desert with no human life, to satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout. Verse 28. Does the rain have a father? Father, the drops of dew. Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven? When water becomes as hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen, can you fasten the chain of Pleiades? Look at verse 36. Who put wisdom in the heart and, and gave mind the understanding? See, there's a lot of science out there that tries to explain um, the physical part of our body, but science cannot explain that we have a moral conscience, that we think, that we can reason. Where does that come from? You can't form that in a petri dish. That is evidence that there is a moral being over us. Verse, verse 37 says, Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven? When the dust hardens like cast metal, talking about like a brick, and the clods of dirt stick together, can you hunt prey for a lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions? When they crouch in their dens, they lie in wait in their lairs. Who provides for the ravens their food? When its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. He is just throwing it at him. Tell me, Job. Tell me. Who, who, who? He begins to... To question Job about the lightning. See, which is the flash of light that travels. Y'all get this. Lightning is the flash of light that travels 186,000 miles per second through the atmosphere. Which breaks that space because of the force. That's what makes the, um, that's what makes the thunder. That's what, that's what you hear. It's the, the thunder is the clap of sound made when... Uh, the atmosphere is trying to rebalance itself and air is rushing back into that space that that lightning bolt just cut through. That's exactly what he asked Job right here. Who aims the lightning? Who cuts it through the clouds? Then follows the rain, which is the explosion of gases from that lightning bolt. You know, it, it, rain is 88 and a quarter percent of, of oxygen and 11 and three quarter percent hydrogen. And it's created by that lightning charge. He's like, Job, explain that to me. You see it, right? Job's like, yeah. He's like, you hear it, right? Mm-hmm. You can feel it, right? Yep. But how do you make it? Mm hmm That's kind of where he is. He's like, I don't know. I don't understand it. 
but I know it's true. There's a story of a little girl that was born extremely premature. Um, you know, like 28, 28, 28, 27, 28 weeks. And so she couldn't go home. And so as soon as she was born, they had to put her in NICU in one of those bubbles. And there was no outside interaction. And for days, when she was just fighting for her life, the mom would sit there and she would just pray that the Lord's presence would be felt and protection over that child. The little girl survived. Years later, five or six years later, they're out in the yard, her and her mom, and the wind gets up. And the little girl looks at her mom, and she's like, Mom, you smell that? Mom's like, no, I feel the wind. She said, no, do you smell it? She's like, I don't smell anything, honey, what is it? She's like, no, no, do you smell it? She said, no, I don't smell it, what do you smell? And she said, the rain coming in. She's like, oh, you know, and we know kind of what that smells like, right? She said, yeah, I do kind of smell that. She said, Mama, that's what God smells like when he holds you real tight. How did she know that? Because God's promise is his power comforts our heart when we're just undone by our situation. Now, I'm not advocating standing under a tall pine tree with your Bible open in a rainstorm. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, you might just find the comfort that your heart needs in the middle of your storm, right in the middle of his storm. I'm saying, he can satisfy the wastelands in your life. He's like, only I can begin a new work. Only I can transform and take you from that dry place that you've been in. There's some dryness in here, I know there is, I can feel it. There's some heaviness in here this morning. I can feel it. I can sense it. Don't you know God is saying, wherever you find yourself, those struggles that have, that have left you parched for so long, God will cover those in the, in the cloud of his grace and he will just pour out. He will tip over the water jars of heaven into your life and comfort your heart. I'm not saying he's going to take it away. That's not what the, the scripture is telling us. What Job is telling us is that the almighty power of God comforts our hearts in the middle of life's worst storm. Amen? See, if, if I'm walking through the woods and I, uh, and I stumble on a ball of some sort, I'm going to assume that someone put that there with intentionality. If, if I'm walking through and I, and I stumble on a very large ball, huge, like the size of a house, you would assume that somebody with power and intentionality put that ball the size of a house in the forest, right? Well, if you were to imagine a ball as big as the earth, hanging out there, that we're living on, it demands a verdict, right? That we have somebody that is above all of those things that happen on that small ball. Somebody that's all that and a bag of chips.
And if his omnipotence can hold the moon in the night sky, and if his power can hear the songs that the morning stars sing, certainly he has the power to comfort our hearts. Somebody need to hear that this morning. And so Job is face to face with God's declaration of greatness in comparison to what's around him. And what that did is it brought a new outlook and it does the same for us. And this is the second thing. God's omnipotence gives us a new perspective. It should. Yes, it comforts our hearts. It gives us a new perspective. Flip over to verse 42. Uh, and starting in verse 1, Job 42, verse 1. So 38, 39, and 40, God is questioning Job. It also talks about dinosaurs. They are in the Bible. Dinosaurs in the Bible? Yes, there is. It's in 38, 39, and 40. Read it for yourself. It will blow your mind. And in, in 41. So in 42, the, the, uh, the trial is over. And so in verse... Uh, 1 of 42 it says then Job replied to the Lord I know that you can do anything and no plans of yours can be thwarted you ask who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance surely I spoke about things I did not understand things too wondrous for me to know his perspective had been changed hadn't it his, his heart had been comforted and his perspective had been changed because perspective is an understanding of something because you see things from a larger frame of reference. The Bible, uh, you know, talks about the perspective meaning being uh, having understanding, having wisdom, having discernment, having all, uh, all the ability to relate to perspective. We were on a mission trip in Jamaica years and years ago doing vacation Bible school. And this mission house was an open air type thing. And there were huge roaches in there, y'all. I'm talking about some big fellas, some big boys. And so I got up one night to, uh, you know, stumble around the night, see if I can find my way to the restroom. And I had my light. And when I shined my light, there was a giant roach. And he winked at me. That's how big he was. He's like, what's up, dog? I'm like, whoa. And so I had on my flip-flop, so I took my flip-flop off, and I went, Booyah! And when I lifted my flip-flop up, he crawled away. And so I, bam, I hit him again, and then that pretty much took care of him. But in that moment, what I had to do is I had to enforce my authority, and I changed his perspective. And he never looked back. <laughs> he never winked at me again. That's what I'm saying is. Perspective is when you get a view of what is around you. And the opposite is, is true of perspective. It just means a hardness of heart. It means being blinded, being dull. And the reason that we're overwhelmed and our hearts are so bound up by the, uh, the anxieties of life is we are dull. We have become hardened to the nature of God. Psalm 103 says, He made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel there's a difference there see the difference is this the people of Israel got to see what God did but Moses got to understand why God did it because Moses understood the nature of God on a personal level so he didn't get lost 
and his questions of why God was doing what he was doing. He understood his all-powerful nature. God was all-powerful. Moses found comfort there. And that's why this series is so, this series is so important. Because when we grasp the nature of God, things change. This is on your notes right here. Understanding the nature of God can help you trust his heart when you don't understand his hand. Understanding the nature of God can help you trust his heart when you can't understand his hand. And all God's people said, see, perspective leads to greater trust. Perspective leads to greater trust. See, the better we understand the character and the ways of God, the more we love him. That's what Ephesians chapter 3 says in verse 14 says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through his spirit. That means your core, who you are in your core, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The faith of what? The faith of the nature of God. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever Amen. See, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that it doesn't belong in a fruit salad. So we can have all the knowledge of God. But when we apply that knowledge to the wisdom of our lives, our hearts are comforted. Our life has perspective. It leads to greater trust. And also, perspective helps us handle the trials. When we have God's perspective on life, that's what we realize. We realize the truth of, of Romans 8.28 that says this. We know that all things work together. This is difficult, easy preaching, hard living. I get it. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Who's good? Might not be our good, but it's for his good and his purposes. Those who are calling, called according to his purpose. That's how we handle trials, that he is all that and a bag of chips so we can rest in it because we see what's coming. Amen? James 1.3 basically says the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perspective was one of the reasons Jesus was able to endure the cross. That's what Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3 says. It says, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. It's a loss of perspective. Perspective. So let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That shows superiority and all power, the right hand. It's the position of extreme honor. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you would not grow weary and give up. It's perspective. The third thing is this, and we're wrapping up. God's omnipotence cancels our debt. Hallelujah. It cancels our debt. The greatest display of God's power is not the Grand Canyon. It's not a good stake. It's not Niagara Falls. It is not this building, and this is a miracle story right here. The greatest display of God's power is the explicit gospel cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the display. Because out of reckless love, the word of God, which is the expression, that's what the word means in John 1, the expression of God became flesh. A man gave up his life as a suffering servant, as a ransom for all people, calling those to a decision to be made. Jesus said this in Mark, Mark chapter 10. Jesus says these words. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentiles lord over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them, people that thought they were all that in a bag of chips. But it is not so among you, church. It's not so among us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, y'all say it with me, for many. For the many. The many means all. That's the way it's translated in Romans 5. So friends, what I want you to know is God the Almighty, perfect in sovereignty, paid a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we could not pay. That's what Chuck believes. That's what Courtney believes. That's what a lot of us in here believe. And we have to surrender our lives to that power. And that starts with repentance. It starts with really believing it and trusting completely in the work of the cross to repent and believe. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you confess it, so you don't confess something that you really don't know about. If you confess it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart so that it leads to action, the Bible says you can be rescued because Jesus paid a ransom for all. And it's only when we come before the cross of Christ and we place our sins beneath the cross that we can go beyond the cross in victory. Job had some smelling salts. Maybe you need some smelling salts this morning. Maybe you need to realize that, you know, maybe, you're, you, maybe you've been questioning your situation. Preparing to, you know, to kind of call the Lord on the witness stand, thinking that you've got it all figured out. Job thought he had it all figured out until he was examined. And when he was examined, he realized that he was guilty of thinking he was all that in a bag of chips. 
trying to take back the authority of the Lord. And he had to move away from that. And he responded to that. Look at verse uh, 42, 5, 6, and 7. It says this. I had heard reports about you. I had heard about you. That's what Courtney said in her video. I had heard about you. But now my eyes have seen you. You told me about that. that. You saw the Lord protect you, didn't you? You knew it and you saw it. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. You know what he did right there? He repented. And I am dust and ashes, which means he confessed his repentance into action. That's what dust and ashes meant, means. And that's a, beauty, a beautiful picture right there because if God is all that in a bag of chips, when we let it, that nature of God root its way into our core and our desires to know God grow into a deeper and a deeper relationship, and it's there that Jesus becomes a place to stay, not just a place to go. When you grasp the nature of God and His sovereignty, and that comforts your heart, and that changes your perspective, and you can trust Him, and your trials look different, and you realize that that power through Christ has set you free, you can do nothing else but just rest and live in the person of Jesus. Not just when things get hard, but every single day. Because you realize He is all that in a bag of chips. So here's what God's saying to us this morning. He's like, hey, I hold the earth. I split the clouds. I bring the rain. I gave the earth its first spin. You can trust me. You can lay your hands at the foot of the one that proved his love by taking on the form of a man and sacrificing his life for us. And three days later, rose again as evidence that if Jesus is alive, then we can also be alive for all of eternity. God's all that in a bag of chips. So my challenge for you this week is to, is to spy. I challenge you, I spy with my little eye the power of God. Look for God's power this week and help that anchor you down and comfort you that you can live life on mission. Because good theology will change your ethics. Y'all stand with me.